Hey, welcome to 5050 Films, a casual movie review podcast. We're Peter Nottam, a husband and wife on a quest to watch 100 movies together each year, a challenge we successfully completed for the first time in 2021. In 2022, we are launching this podcast to record our thoughts on every movie we watch during the year. Each weekly episode will feature two films, whatever I picked for us to watch the past Wednesday and whatever Peter chose for us to watch the past Saturday. We will rate these movies on a scale of outstanding to boring, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and everything in between. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Okay, so this week we officially hit the halfway mark for the 2022 Oscar nominees. Yeah, actually we passed it. We did, and it feels good. Yeah, it does. It feels real good. <laughs> so the first movie we watched this week was Nightmare Alley. Do you want to give a little synopsis? Uh, yeah. Um, Bradley Cooper's character uh, is a carny, essentially. Or he's not a carny, but he like... like we don't know what he does before he kind of becomes a carny. Um, and uh, he gets himself into a whole world of shit by using his natural charm to do a mentalist act. And then uh, go too far up. And then he like he like strays too far from being a mentalist. And he strays further into doing um, medium style stuff. Uh, which, uh, as the movie says, you don't do a spook show. And mm-hmm. uh, he does a spook show. And it... Bites him in the ass. Yes, it does. And that's basically the whole idea of this movie is just watching him kind of get himself back together. It starts with, you know, he's killed someone. The movie starts in a very striking way. He is dragging a body bag across wooden floorboards and then he drops it into a hole in the floor. And then he lights the whole place on fire. And that's how the movie starts. So you know, like, he's got some stuff going on at home. And then he ends up at this carnival and he kind of picks himself up. And then essentially the movie is about how he then falls from grace there. Um, But let's talk about the carnival. Because when it comes to things that this movie did well, the atmosphere and the settings were unmatched. Ugh. Guillermo del Toro knocks it out of the park with sets. It's so good. Like, he, the, I'm pretty sure he directed this movie. If he didn't, it was a co-director with um, Bradley Cooper a little bit. Because uh, I see him as, in, like, the main list of, like, cast and crew all whole time. Um, it, it just, like, I, I haven't seen a lot of his movies. I've seen some set stuff from his movies. And I've seen his house. He did a house tour video on YouTube. Totally recommend watching it. We're going to watch it after this podcast because Adam hasn't seen it yet. Um, it, he, he has all this crazy stuff. Like He's a huge collector. Um, but, like, the sets in this movie were so good. Like, you just, you really get that feeling you're in a late 30s, early 1940s carnival. Um, like, it's just, like, all this crazy, you know, like, like big top stuff. Like, the back, back views of the tents and the fun house set was really cool. And all the like the like little like setups they had for their each of their acts because it was a mm-hmm. ten in one circus. Uh, it was very very interesting. Just the colors too, like the yeah. beiges and the burgundies, and oh, it was so so good. Oh. Um, speaking of the way that the movie starts in a striking way, 
we have that first scene where he he burns the body bag, and then also very early on the mo- movie, we learn what a geek is. Yes. Which is a very important element in the movie. The circus geek, essentially a homeless man that they call some sort of zombie um, that they have, like, tied up, essentially keep him caged up and starving and, like, drugged out on opium and, and like, liquor and, uh... Yeah, uh, we get to see we see the geek eat a they have the geeks eat live chicken for the shock and amazement of the uh, the people in front of us and we almost had chicken for dinner and we would have been eating it right around the scene where they he just like rips the chicken's head I off. I forgot about that. And uh, I look I I we had had we hadn't been able to thaw the chicken for us and we were eating something different and I looked over at Autumn and said, "Aren't you glad we're not eating chicken for dinner right now?" <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I and I when they got to that part, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this movie mm-hmm. because that was just horrific. But that is in my opinion the worst thing yeah. in the movie that happens. It's like it gets better from well, there. Well, there's some pretty brutal murders towards the end. We but, do, uh... but I and this is going to sound horrible, but that's like nothing I haven't seen before that's true, in yeah. film. It's always worse when it's an animal, right? Yes, and I have never, even in film, seen someone take a bite out of a live chicken. (laughs) You feel worse for the goat in Jurassic Park than you do for the men in Jurassic Park. So, like, you know... (laughs) It's kind of how it goes. I mean, and, like, and we talked about how how great the sets were in the carnival. And then Act 2 of this movie is in, like, high society, 40s, like, ballrooms offices, um, just all kinds of Art Deco-style buildings. Equally well done. So beautiful. Like, the 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 shrink lady, the psychologist's office, like, was just making me salivate with how pretty everything was <laughs> and how, like, how all the... It was, like, like, uh... Oh... I can't remember the kind of maple. Cur- it was, like, curly maple everything. It was, like, all shiny and, like... And, like, light woods mixed with dark woods mixed with, like, these, like, the 40s accent style, like, Art Deco little bits and bobs and desks and, like, open up a cabinet and it's a bar and having, like, your bookshelf be where your recording rack is. It was so good. Yeah, it was, it was stunning. Um, And the costumes were really well done, too. Mm -hmm. I especially like just the different um, carnies outfits um particularly uh molly's when she is doing the electric shock yes and there's and there's that whole scene where the is he a priest a preacher a policeman yeah the policeman yeah (laughs) a policeman is coming in sheriff yeah and saying that her her outfit is um inappropriate and things like that and that's a moment where you get to see stan bradley cooper's character you get to see how he can kind of, like, make people believe what he wants mm-hmm. them to believe. He just has that charisma because he says, like, oh, this is, you know, part of the act. It keeps her safe. Like, look, I'll just show you. And then that's one of the first times he tries that mentalist trick. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. Um, oh, what's the... Uh... Oh, I was going to say something. Oh, yeah. And we talked about um, just, like... Like, like how the, uh, oh yeah, how, how the, the, the costumes particularly, um, sorry for the pause there, um, the costumes are, are like, 
when you look back and you see period costumes, it either looks like the women are comfortable and the men are extremely uncomfortable, or the men are super comfortable and the women are extremely uncomfortable. Not like the actors looking uncomfortable wearing what they're wearing, but like just what time period <laughs> it looks like it would be more comfortable to live in. And the genders never look good at the same time. No, no. <laughs> like in the this is like late late thirties pre pre World War Two be, beginning of World War Two. You're like, dude's wearing like, he's got his like basically his full tux with his like tie or a bow tie, and he's got his his like little scarf to like for the mm-hmm. neck warmth and his long coat, and he like looks like a noir detective because it's right in that time frame, you know, when noir detectives were like a thing, and you see like the women character female characters are like in these like stuffy dresses that like you know can't show any chest basically yeah, might be a little skirts. shorter you know but like yeah it, <laughs> it's and then i was kind of comparing that in my head to like licorice pizza from last week where like you know they got the like bell-bottom jeans have never looked comfortable to me especially not like like the way they looked in like the 70s and the 80s and stuff like that disco time but like, and then like the super short shorts for like <laughs> going to the pool or hanging out with like shorts were just uncomfortably short looking. You mean on men? Yeah, on men particularly. Men. And then like, yeah. you know, it, it just is wild. It was really, really well done, like visually the whole way through cinematography, um, the way like directing and then just the sets and the uh, costume and prop design. I always find it so much harder to talk about movies that we really enjoyed because it's like, what do you do except gush about everything? Like, yeah, oh, right. Everything was just so great. Was there anything that you didn't like? I obviously was not a fan of the chicken scene. Um, I could have done what I can always do without like extra violence and gore. I think you can tell without show in those instances. But as far as like the actual story, I did feel like some things were kind of missing. Like, I wish there had been more, in general, to the story. Like, I felt like, I don't even know how to describe this. Like, it felt like pieces of the story were missing. But I also am, like, sure they were. Like, I'm sure they filmed so much and had to cut it. Because this movie was already two and a half hours long. Yeah. So, if there were parts of the story missing, and I could not fathom them cutting anything we did see... Yeah. Because it was... it was also important. So I I wouldn't say that, like, brought the movie down for me at all. But there were some, as someone who really, I say this every time, I sound like a broken record. But as someone who really cares about characterization, I wish there had been more um, on him, on Molly, on the people at the carnival. Um, specifically, uh, the guy who is looking after Molly kind of as a father figure. Um, oh, Ron Perlman's character? Yeah, I... I was missing... I wish there had been a little bit more there. He just basically is playing this, like, stock character overprotective yeah. guy he, who does He's the strong man of the carnival who does yeah. all the crazy weightlifting. And he also is essentially... And I guess that kind of just is his character. He's the strong man in the carnival and both... And the carnival family. He's like, yeah. the, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a knuckle sandwich, you know. Or, yeah. you know, he'll, he'll, he threatens Bradley Cooper's life a few times if we messes with um yeah can't remember her name right now but molly. you know yeah molly yeah it was molly yeah yeah um our dog's and... name is molly and he still I don't remember the characters names <laughs> I remember the actors yeah wasn't it when ron perlman came on screen that you were like 
What did you say? Did they oh, yeah. hire like 12 actors this year? <laughs> I was like, did only 10 actors get work this year? Because we've seen Bradley Cooper in two of the Oscar nom movies. We've seen Ron Perlman in two of the Oscar nom movies. Um, Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet's been in two of the Oscar nominated mm-hmm. movies. And I'm sure there's more. Oh, absolutely. And I, oh yeah, um, uh, oh, Willem Dafoe mm-hmm. has been in, he, that man gets so much work. He's like the Nick Cage of good movies. Now, I don't, I don't hate Nick Cage or anything like that. I, I enjoy Nick Cage movies on, on occasion, but Nick Cage does do a lot of like schlock, whereas like. You know, I see Willem Dafoe in, like, everything. And, like, all the movies, all the good movies we watched. And, like, last year he did this movie and he did Spider-Man. Like, yeah. Yeah. there's, like, two notable, like, big movies. Like, I mean, he's only in about half of this movie, really. But, like, mm-hmm. still, it's... It, I felt like he was a great pick for that role, yeah. though. Oh, because yeah. he just plays it so well. It's not like he, he plays the man who runs the carnival. Mm-hmm. And he does just do a great job at being, like, quietly creepy. Yes. Like, he's not, like, in-your-face <laughs> creepy, but he does this just great, like, realistic. Like, he's he's not a good guy. Willem Dafoe could be mute in a movie, and he would still come off as quietly creepy because of how his face is. Like, well, he was a great. Pet. He has such an iconically like, oh, face, <laughs> <laughs> and and like, and I think they they really lean into that in in Spider Man, which we you know, yeah, <laughs> we're not discussing this episode, but like people were making jokes even before they knew he was confirmed for this movie about how we don't know why they give the green goblin a mask in the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man's cause Willem Dafoe like could make creepy enough faces that he could just be the goblin. They could have painted him green. Um, and they would have been more like the comics, but, uh, no. And, and he, he was a great goblin in the Spider-Man movie and, and, you know, he's just reprising his role, but it was, you know, exceptional and they didn't put a mask on him. Mm Mm-hmm. So is there anything about um, Nightmare Alley that you thought could have been improved? I don't think so. Um, Because neither of us rated it um, outstanding. We both rated it memorable. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably a really high memorable for me. Um, I don't don't think it was... It's not like the perfect movie, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. But I think it was done very well. I didn't really think of anything I would have changed either. Um, it's just not, like, my preferred genre. Okay. Um, I thought the atmosphere... I, I really think that most of this stuff knocked it out of the park, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if this was, like, a sci-fi movie and it was, had this level of, like, competence and excellence in all the categories, it would have been a fully outstanding. Or maybe even some other... You know, some kind of other action movie, if that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it had enough creepiness. It was, like, the thriller aspects were there. Right in a way that we haven't seen them in some other Oscar-nominated movies that have claimed to take the, the power term. of the dog. <laughs> yeah, um, and just like like there's not, you know, it's it's not like there's not like full moments you're waiting for like a jump scare. You're like, oh no, what's gonna happen? But like you're the whole time you're like uneased. Mm-hmm. Um, everything sort of points to him killing his father. You don't actually find out that he actually killed his father till the like very end of the movie, because mm-hmm. um, like. At the very beginning, you don't know it's his parents. You don't even know it's his own house. You just know he, mur- either, he either murdered somebody or found a corpse and burned it in a house. Yeah. Um, and then, in like, kind of like towards the middle second half of the first act, you see that like, oh, he had a lot of issues with his father. 
I, and then you see him, you see his father on his, like, deathbed with him, and then you see at the end that he actually, like, killed his, killed his father. Yeah. You know, you, you, there's, there's always this, like, this, like, unease, like, did he, did he end up killing him, or did his mm-hmm. father just die, and he has this, like, un, unrequited hate for him, or, like, this, like, I didn't get a, you know, I just, like, I hated him so much I didn't get to tell him. And, you know, he told him. He told yeah. him he hated him and he killed him. <laughs> well, and as we were talking about earlier, this movie does a great full circle. Yes. Of, like, all full circles. Because we have him starting at rock bottom. And as he's at rock bottom, he learns what the geek is. Yep. And then he, he reaches his peak. He does the spook show. All of a sudden, he's the geek. In yep. A, in a different circus. It, oh, it was so good. And you could see it coming, <laughs> but it didn't take away yeah. from how powerful that was. The movie wraps up, like, everything it sets out, too. Um, like, if you, like, the whole concept of Chekhov's gun, where if you bring a, if you, in, if you show a rifle in Act 1, you have to have, the rifle has to go off by Act 3 sort of thing. The geek is the rifle. Yeah. The geek is the rifle. Her pistol is the rifle. Like it, it, mm-hmm. every single thing that they set up in this movie, like like oh she's got a gun in her purse. She sure she fires the gun in act in the you know mm-hmm. second half second half of the movie. Like it everything like is knocked is set up and is knocked down and clean. I don't have there's like no no part of the movie like you say you wanted to see some other stuff. I really felt that it was pretty content complete. I didn't feel like there were any major plot holes that I was, like, a little confused by. Maybe I would have liked to see him uh, get started in the mentalist business, but we kind of did see his start on the fairground we saw as the opposed start to him matters. doing the, like, fancy shows. But, like, it, it makes sense, like, in it was, like, a three-year time skip, I think, right? It was, yeah. Like, so, like, it makes sense that in three years, if he is that talented, like, we see him with his ta- with the amount of talent that he has that he would make it there. And I think that's what threw me off. And not for, like, a bad reason, but that, that three-year jump was a little bit jarring for me just because I wasn't expecting it. I've mm. been going into these um, Oscar noms knowing very little on purpose. Um, so I think I just didn't even really think yeah. what it would be about, which, yeah, that was a little bit jarring for me for sure. One, like, little thing I want to talk about is... Um, a small character part. It is, I believe the actress's name is is Mary Steenburgen. Um, she's married to Ted Danson. She mm-hmm. plays the mom and elf. And she is the one of the people that um, Bradley Cooper's character works with when he starts doing this, like, almost medium. He yeah. starts working into talking with the dead. And he lets them know that their son, who has passed away because he went off to war, um wants to see them again we'll see them again and her scene so she seems consoled by this first encounter with him and then we see her and her husband having dinner later where she says i've been thinking about what he said about julian wanting to see us again and her husband was like oh yeah and she takes out a gun she shoots him and then she shoots herself i felt like that was so powerful yeah that was so intense she played that so well and it was just such a great like literal like bang of like okay this is where everything starts to go to shit yeah. like this is a great that's, that's the downfall yeah there's a, a tarot reading because the one lady he like kind of learns how to do the mentalism stuff half from does tarot readings and um 
that's like she describes a downfall and then a couple other things and then um yeah and that's that's the very clear downfall point mm-hmm. is uh is <laughs> like this woman killing her husband the judge and uh herself yeah yeah you can see it coming like a mile away too like once once they like she starts talking about it you're like oh She's going to kill him. But the tone is just so eerie. And so, and that's what this movie does so well is you can guess what's going to happen, but you can't look away anyway. You don't lose interest because of that, because you're just like, everything is so eerie and you're just so invested that you can predict what's about to happen, but you still feel the effects of it regardless. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we've pretty much summed up. Yeah, I think we did. How we felt about this one. Um, we both rate it memorable. We think we're on an upswing with Oscars movies. We're pretty excited about that. This experiment started out a little bit rough for us, but um, we really liked this one and the next one we're going to talk about. But first, we're going to take a quick media break. Yeah. So as for TV, we watched a little bit of Brooklyn Nine Nine. We ended that one on a pretty big cliffhanger. We've got some things we got to yeah. catch up on. Um, and we finished Love is Blind Season 2. Peter, would you like to recap your Love is Blind experience? Um, I didn't like it. <laughs> I, I thought it was... I... I, I Okay, so I, I'm not a huge reality TV person. I'm, like, mildly entertained by Real Housewives whenever you watch it. Because, like, it's just people, like getting angry at each other right. but and you that's don't funny. sit down and watch that one no right? not really um we watched uh, love island together after i introduced you to it like three or four years ago or whatever it was at this point um i like that because uh, it's like it's very straightforward about what it is you know mm-hmm. we're just putting a bunch of hot people in a house it's pretty upbeat too peter doesn't <laughs> do great with um hard emotions <laughs> well yeah like and like so like love island is like yeah it's upbeat the whole time like even when they get mad at each other like that stuff usually gets sorted out and you know it, it they'll figure it out and they'll or they'll break up very easily right like i'm sorry this is, this is like i can't do this and they'll recouple with somebody else and that's part of the charm of the show um and also by the end of and, and like love island is contained like they're they're just chilling at a place in Majorca or wherever they put it now because uk's like not in the eu anymore um they it's like it's very like like yes we're on vacation we're doing this thing we're the best couple we get voted as the best couple and we win fifty thousand pounds and we share it usually because twenty five thousand pounds is a solid amount of money Mm -hmm. you know um and then like either they stay together or they break up and all the other couples that leave the island there's no pressure. They like stay together or they break up and you get to kind of follow them and it's, or Autumn follows them on Instagram or sees them or does whatever. Um, and we get to like, kind of just like see like, Oh, I like them two to get those two together. Like, what are they doing? Do they break up? Oh, that's too bad. This show is, it like claims to be this experiment. This is my main complaint. Com- claims to be this experiment as to whether love is blind. Um, where the the concept, as I'm sure we already just like discussed in the podcast, is like they date sight unseen, and at the end of the date they propose to each other. And I think that that is inherently flawed as a concept because it 
because and, and then after they propose, it's like just like this fast track month before their wedding, where they do like a week in in Mexico, in like resort week, and then they do like three weeks like cohabitating in this like little um, apartment. apartment to like figure out to like figure out any other kinks before they ultimately determine whether or not they want to marry somebody. I think that that the like the idea of of could you could you like agree to like date somebody do you agree to date somebody based on a bunch of like like having a bunch of like sight unseen dates that's pretty sound that's like having a like a vocal like a voice pen pal basically you know like you're doing you're doing you're like dating somebody like that's fine i don't have a problem with that part of it but the fact that they they base that whole experience and go oh is love blind and then ruin it by adding in all these outside factors of the stress of doing it in a month um, the idea that you can't like like I mean Love Island is like what a month and a half long but they do daily episodes yeah I think it's like two months almost two months yeah um, whereas Love Is Blind is like you know they have like a week in the pods a week in Mexico and then three weeks IRL. And the fact that they, they put all the pressure of the wedding being this, like, end-all, be-all at the end, um, I think that ruins the whole thing, and it makes a lot of people, like, super stressed out. And so if, if they, they may have actually had a really good connection in the pods, but because they're under a bunch of different stress factors, including the fact that they're still doing their normal jobs while they do the show. Like, they're not, like... They're not, like, on vacation the whole time. They're on vacation for, like, two weeks, and then they go back to working, and then... It's, you know, hanging out with their, their fiance at the end. And I, I think that that like, that it, it like ruins their experiment, which they repeatedly call it in the show because it like, it adds in all these extra stresses that make their like, is love blind argument kind of just, you didn't prove it. Even mm-hmm. if they, even if they say yes and marry each other at the end, like, I don't feel like they proved anything. And in this one, it's, it's already out. Only two couples <laughs> end up together. And we get, what, three no's? And then yeah. a couple that already broke up, like, way before. Yeah, don't give anything else away, yeah. just in case. But, like, I mean, like, I guess we could put a spoiler alert at the beginning. We just record that real quick. But, like, you know, <laughs> I, I just, I, I think it's broken. And I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't like it because of that. I think if they did a similar to Love Island approach, where they did that sight unseen dating, which was interesting. And then, at that point, they had to... Um, like, deter- like they, they instead of being an engagement, they committed to somebody, like, like committed like to be boyfriend girlfriend or like dating or something like that. And then they had the, all the dating groups go into like a separate area and do like possibly a Love Island style thing like that, mm-hmm. without recouplings. Maybe like if they figure out that that like either somebody's like I'm really not happy after like a month or something, and they decide to break up. That could be more interesting because there's there's nothing at stake in the show. They're not winning money. They're getting a free wedding, but they're getting that free wedding either way. Even if they say no, the dress has already been, I assume, rented. Because um, God, if they're just paying for somebody's wedding dress, it would be a huge waste of money. But like they, they still got a party, even like a like a, a like a, a really awkward wedding reception style dinner with a, probably a, they gotta still eat the cake. There's no way they don't eat the cake anyway. But like. You know, I just, I think that there's, there's like a lot of wasted potential for it to actually, like, to add that, like, game aspect to it and to have them do fun things by having them on, like, a Love Island style, like, getaway sort of thing for a longer period of time. Like, 
I don't know. I feel like that'd be more interesting because some of the couples we got this season, <laughs> I've talked about this for a very long time. Um, some of the couples we got this season were like, they had like weird love triangle things going on, but because they're like separated, you see some of the clashing with that during a couple of bits in like Mexico. But like if they were in a love Island setting where they had already like, they committed to somebody and then somebody else that they were like half committed to was also on the show that would have made for some more entertaining drama than the sad drama that we just got to witness a bunch of times. And then uh, it, was, it was, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a really big fan of this and I wouldn't watch it again unless Autumn really like asked me like she really wanted to. Oh, that's really nice of you to say. Yeah. Do you feel good to have gotten that out of your system? Yes. I like it. I think it's fun. I do agree. I mean, Peter makes some good points here for sure. And I think like, when I watched the first season with my sister, it was kind of the same thing Peter's saying, whereas... And I think it just has to do with, like, how you view marriage. Like, some people go into marriage thinking, like, oh, well, if it doesn't work out, I can get a divorce. Or even, like, an engagement. Yeah. Like, And this show kind of runs off of, like, oh, you can end your engagement. You know, where ideally you would, like, only say yes to marrying someone if you, like, fully intended on marrying them. Um, but for me, I think this show's super fun, and my sister watches it, and some of my best friends watch it, and it's kind of my, I never, like, got into The Bachelor, I never really could, but this is kind of, like, that experience for me, where, like, all my friends are watching it at the same time, and we, like, get to talk about it, so, um, I think it's fun. I thought the first season was better than this one, and I appreciate Peter watching it with me the whole way through, even though he clearly was not having the best time. Um, as far as books... I have been listening to Norwegian Wood by Haruki Murakami, and I think it might be five stars. I'm really loving it so far. It's just this great character study about mental illness and friendship and young love, and oh, it's so good. Um, I'm really excited to keep listening to that on my commutes, and I have been reading Serpent and Dove by Shelby Mahurin, which is a book my sister picked for both of us to read this year um, so that we can talk about it together. And it's a YA fantasy about a witch and a witch hunter who are kind of forced into a marriage. Um, and that one's been really fun, too. So I've been reading a lot of good stuff. And Peter and I have been playing so much Animal Crossing, it's, like, actually embarrassing. <laughs> um, we went on a little trip this weekend, like a little staycation to a hotel, and we basically just played Animal Crossing the whole time. But the weather was crappy, so I don't really feel that bad about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read anything except for school stuff. So, you know, a little bit on, on like, uh, postmodernist thought and uh, post-structuralism, which was something. Um, and then I read, and a book about uh, post-Civil War battle tactics, but pre-World War One. Yeah. Um, I also... Uh, I, I read, no, I haven't read anything else. I, I watched, like, almost nothing as well outside of what we watched together. Um, uh, I played some Dungeons and Dragons with my friends, and I have been, besides playing Animal Crossing with you over the weekend, um, I've been playing uh, Cyberpunk 2077 um, because I just recently upgraded my PC and I can run it now. We and did it's really fun. also watch the first episode of Maniac. Oh yeah, trip the 2018 show. It's 10 episodes <laughs> long. 
with Jonah Hill and Emma Stone, and we liked it. And yes. We're gonna keep watching it. Yeah, we're gonna finish that up. It's only yeah, what you said it was ten episodes. Yeah, ten. Episodes. And then um, we watched some Big Mouth, kind of embarrassingly. Just yeah, we, we were, will not be finishing. We were go- that. We yeah, it, I. There there are some genuine laughs in that show, but I think for the most part, I just I'm just like kind of like, eh, it's not that good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that catches you up on the media for the week. We also watched Belfast this week, and Peter's going to do the introduction to this one, too, just because he knows more history than I do, and I don't want to mess anything up. So, yeah, uh, Belfast is decidedly um, about, I believe it's 1967, if I remember correctly. I think you're right. Um, Because they they talked about uh, someone going around the moon, but no one landed on the moon, and I'm pretty sure that happened, yeah, in 67. So, um, this is about the Troubles, a period in Irish history um, where there are these, the two sides, the sides are defined as Protestant and Catholic, though it is not, it wasn't a religious war per se, um, it, like, cause, because the Protestants in this case are the people who are sort of um, allied with the Church of England and want Northern Ireland to remain as part of the United Kingdom, and then the Catholics... Um, who are, you know, for all intents and purposes, actually Irish Catholics. Um, it, it's, it's like a, like an ethno, like, um, political sort of thing where they wanted Northern Ireland to become part of actual Ireland. Um, so the Troubles are, it's just a period of like, of like irregular, low level, like almost like a war. Um, but, but really was like a lot of like intense rioting in parts of Northern Ireland um, and there's like, I think there's a famous short story about two snipers in Ireland, um, and like different at each at a different church, one of them at a Protestant church, one of them at the roof of a Catholic church. Can't exactly remember what the short story is called, but, um, I'll look it up after this. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it's this, it's this like time of extreme turmoil for the Irish people, um, particularly for those living in Northern Ireland, because there's this, you know, it's basically a gang war kind of. Right. Um, but with actual, like, um, larger scale implications. And this happened for about 30 years. Um, this went from, like, this, like, through the 60s to the 90s, basically. Um, so this isn't, like, a short thing that happened. Like, we saw, like, a year of it, basically. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And we watch this all through the eyes of a child. The main character is Buddy. I'm not quite sure how old he is. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say probably second or third grade. He's doing long division. I would say third grade. Yeah. That's probably accurate. Um, so I feel like that was a very interesting choice, and in a good way, um, to watch this through his eyes because we're watching his parents panic and their mm-hmm. reaction, the fights that result because of that, and we're watching all these horrific things happening on the street from the perspective of someone who is so small in the grand scheme of all of it. Mm -hmm. And then we're watching also just like the regular things in his life. He wants to do good enough in math class at school so that he can sit up front with the girl he has a crush on. And he wants his dad to bring him back match car, uh, matchbox cars when he comes home from work trip. And he wants to spend time with his grandparents and, so I really liked that we got his perspective. I think the movie would have suffered if it had been anyone else's perspective. I truly believe that. Yeah, the perspective of like of someone with like that sort of pure innocence, like he's not voluntarily part of any kind of gang. He's not fighting anybody. He's not like 
working with any of the mob. He's just... He's just a kid. Just a kid, you know, yeah. trying to do kid things in a world that's sort of falling apart around him. But yeah. Yeah, that's and his, his family unit is very large, and that's a huge part of the story as well. Um, he's very close with his grandparents, who I thought were wonderful characters. Mm-hmm. Um, we laughed at them multiple times because his his grandfather talks to his grandmother in a way that reminded us of, of Peter's grandparents, so that was always very sweet and funny. Yeah. Um, I forget. Do you remember what we like really laughed at? Oh, it was, oh. <laughs> he said women are mysterious, and then his, his wife like... Oh, so he said something. Told him to do something. Oh, yeah, we're mysterious, huh? And he goes, your grandmother has stopped being mysterious to me. (laughs) (laughs) It was just funny. And they had a lot of back and forth like that, which was just really sweet. And you just got to see Buddy having this big family there. And you got to see that, which then added to the conflict of later his father is offered a a permanent job in Mm -hmm. England with a free house and with a big garden. It would get them out of these riots and into safety. And his mother is still really against that for a long time, even though it would help them with their money troubles. They would be safe just because she has this huge family unit there and she doesn't know how to leave that behind. And they set that up from the very beginning. Yeah. And the family, it doesn't, it's not just their relatives. Like it's everyone on their street. Like, and this is, like, something that, you know, has sort of been lost, basically, because people just sort of live places now, and it's it's not, especially during the pandemic, you know, you're not nearly as involved with your community as you used to be, especially in a big city like Belfast. Um, like, so we just see, like, you see them, he's, like, at the very beginning, before the rioting starts, like, the opening scene of the movie, you see him, like, he's running around with all the neighborhood kids, and, like, everyone knows his name, and his mom calls for him, and then some other, this other girl named Moira, like, goes and, like, finds him, like, hanging out with all the neighbor kids, and, like, and that's, that's part of what his mom says, like, when when he's, like, talking about leaving, he's, like, he could go to anyone's house, and, like, he doesn't need to have a back garden to play in, because he can just play in the entire neighborhood, and, like, no one, like, everyone knows who he is, everyone knows who we are, like, everyone's fine with him, and they all like him, you know, that And they'll take care of him. They'll take care of him, yeah. yeah. As opposed to in England, where they wouldn't have anything, and as a viewer, it is frustrating to watch her resist that. Yes. Even knowing all of that, it is just so frustrating to sit there, and, and to watch, like, you will have a place where you are safe. You will get your kids out yeah. of this mess because, like Peter said, the movie starts with this big riot scene. There is no time for us to feel safe as no, viewers yeah. on that street. Like, we've seen what it can look like when things get really bad, and it's just so heartbreaking to watch her say no yeah. to moving to a place where they they're ready for them to move in. It would be so easy for them to just decide to go. Yeah, and then eventually sort of come to terms with it, like, because, like, she, like, it's just, there's, like, there's a scene where, um, her, (laughs) where Buddy, like, is, like, forced to participate in the looting of a store. So he grabs a box of washing powder for, you know, because he's just a kid, right? He's thinking of stuff that his parents need. And he, like, comes home with it. She asks him where he got it. And he like he says they're they're we're looting the supermarket and uh, and she like she freaks out and does the like this is a safe town mom sort of thing. Oh, it pissed me Drags off so much. Drags him and the girl who brought him to the supermarket back to the actively being looted and rioted in supermarket 
and tells him to put the thing back. And there's a whole confrontation, and you're just like, what the hell is she? This is like totally irrational. If if you hear the supermarkets being looted, why the why in God would you go to the supermarket and like, and you and then but you know it she she also like at the afterwards like explains like she's like I looked at myself in the mirror. And I, was, I saw myself when I was dragged both of us back to the supermarket that the active fighting was gonna was like about to take place in with the riot police and everything, the military, and uh, and she just like there's that moment where she, like she realizes like we're looting the supermarket isn't just like someone broke the window of the supermarket and a bunch of kids are stealing in the supermarket. It's there's like there's like actual like gang violence happening in the supermarket. And this, the town is no longer safe. Like, you can't just drag your kid back to that to scold them, which, I mean, maybe that's something that would have been, would have worked out if it wasn't trouble time. Like, oh my god, you if can't just, just steal things. stole it and the yeah. storekeeper was there, you know, Yeah, back, but like, at that point, it's just, it's like, it's too late and everything's changed and you gotta, you gotta get out. And she realizes that, like, in that moment, because she's like, oh my god, I put our whole family in danger because I was trying to scold my son, basically. And her whole character is built around this idea of, like, this is safe. Regardless yeah. of what's happening, like, this is all I've ever known. This has to be safe. Even, like, in the beginning, in the first riot, she gets both of her sons in the house and under the table. But then she is, like, peeking out of the open window. And the whole time I'm just wondering, like, <laughs> is is her husband out there? Because if not, she should be under the table with those kids so that nothing happens to their mother. But she just has this whole idea of, like, even if these horrible things are happening here, like, this is my home, so it'll be okay. Yeah. And she does, like Peter said, eventually realize that that's not the truth, and they do move. Um, I was a little bit sad they didn't take the grandmother with them. I was, yeah, I, don't I really feel like understand she had that. some reason that she had to stay there that we didn't see in the movie. Well, and she, she did say, I think she was the one who said, you know, there are people who stay, and there are people who go. And, yeah. and maybe that's what that is supposed to yeah. you know, resemble, is, like, this is where she's staying. Um, it would be too much for her to uproot herself, basically. Yeah. What did you... And she would put a burden on them by living with them in their new house, you know, because they had been independent from her, essentially, and she had been independent from them. And, you know, like, the grandfather passes away, which gives them, like, kind of more of an out, right? Because, like, you're not leaving the grand, the sickly grandfather behind if he's... Right. Uh, once, now that he's passed away, you know, it's like, well, grandma's the only reason, you know, the, to come back. But it gives us a reason to come back, sort of thing. Yeah. And, like, come back to visit maybe when some of this starts to, like, slow down and blow over or whatever. I mean, you know, historically that it doesn't for another, like, 20 years... Like, Northern Ireland is, like, a nightmare of explosions, basically. Because um, the, uh, you know, there's just a lot of car bomb stuff that happens and petrol bombs and all that kind of thing. Um, but we yeah. saw a lot of that. Yeah, we, we, saw, we, saw, we saw them, what, blow a car up. We didn't see them bomb any cars, aside from the one that they, like, detonated yeah. by lighting the gas tank on fire at the beginning of the movie. But, like, yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's. I think it. I think it cuts it out at a point too, where like they have Maggie Smith, you know, say her little like ending thing, and then like mm-hmm. they cut the black film very appropriate at that time. Yeah. What was your take on the choice of this movie being in black and white? I was weird. I mean, I get it. It it because black and white movies seem more historical. I think because it's black and white. This is the '60s. They had color 
in the 60s. And they show that in the movie. It may have been corrected color at that time, because we do see (laughs) in the movie, (laughs) when they go to the movies, the picture on on the movie screen is in color, right? And, you know, it does pop like it's corrected color, Mm -hmm. but still, like, it's in color. And so, it, it, once once that first one happened, I got irrationally upset <laughs> because at that point, it's like, well, if you're going to put some color in the movie and, and have it be like, oh, they had color film at this time, it's like, well, then why are you showing us this whole thing in black and white? Um, but, you know, I kind of came around to it, you know, later on because it does, it does kind of make sense for this, like, it is a historical movie. It is based on very, very real events. You know, this isn't like The Pianist. I think The Pianist was another was an Oscar-nominated movie like years ago that was like made in like the two thousands, but it was black and white. Um, and it, it also isn't um, Clerks, <laughs> which Clerks is hilariously in black and white, and it's a nineties movie, and it was just in black and white because Kevin Smith wanted to be artsy. But um, but like I I th- I think what what they did, and it is you know it's an artsy film, but I think that it makes more sense for this movie to be in black and white than like other movies like clerks um and like you know stuff that's like just made to be black and white for for black and white's sake these days was was the malcolm and marie movie it was black, a black and, white? and white yeah yeah like it's like the, it's an artistic choice that sometimes i don't really agree with i almost never agree with it yeah. it doesn't bother me i think it's like i have this weird relationship with like modern black and white movies not movies that like had to be made in black and white um, because when it comes to that, I actually prefer to watch black and white than one where they, like, add the color in. Um, but when it comes to this, I just, it doesn't bother me. I don't sit through a whole movie thinking, like, oh my gosh, I wish this was in color. But at, after it's over, I'm like, oh, like, I would have liked it yeah. if that had been in color. Yeah. Um, I just think you, like, why not? Yeah. At this point, you get more out of it. Um, and that's just something I love, like the visuals of a movie yeah and the color adds so much to that that's i know i commented on it in nightmare alley like it just adds so much to the vibe licorice pizza had great colors Mm -hmm. it really just like added to the vibe of that like i would have liked to see that here but it didn't necessarily bother me um that it wasn't part of it i was going to say something i i can't remember do you have any other points you want to make um i don't think so um this movie especially at the beginning where the kids just like the camera's just continuous long shot panning around the kid as things kind of go to shit around him when he's like running home for dinner or for tea i guess mm-hmm. um and like i like almost started crying like three times and it wasn't just like 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 a sad tear it was like a shuddering like sob cry which was just weird, and I think it was, I might have been like because we had like a little bit of a little bit of a long day and like an early wake up or something, but like it just like it like got me like a, like a, oh man, this is like actually terrifying. I was surprised like, when you said that because I did not have that reaction. I can see how you did. Yeah, like I've never been through anything traumatic like that in my life, but like, like it, the fact that this is all like real and like I mean like it didn't really happen in the movie, but like it really happened in real life, like. I can 100% see that exact scene happening for real to some poor little kid whose mom's just like, hey, we got to go, you know, like, and I just, I was like, I thought that was just, it was just like, 
really emotional for like a couple beats and then I like kind of like teared up towards the end like normal like a normal movie tear up you know <laughs> um because of like the whole like sadness of them leaving yeah kind of thing but, like to. that was just yeah that's just normal sad stuff but like yeah it was it was it, it hit me pretty hard at the I, very beginning I remembered what I was going to say I love the soundtrack for yeah. this one I mentioned that while we were watching the movie I think it just keeps things lighter, yeah. but not in a not in a weird way. Like, don't look up. Yeah, like, not don't look in up was jarring. inappropriately light. <laughs> yeah, it just, like, it, it reminds you of the time period, the soundtrack choices. Um, and there are moments that are lighter in the movie. Like I mentioned, this yeah. is a kid's perspective. There are other things, like, there are these huge, horrible things happening in the world and on his street. But he's also thinking about, like, the girl he has a crush on yeah. at school. Or, he's, like, you know, you know, messing around in a field or something. Going yeah, to the right. movies with his grandparents. Play, like Playing in a park with his dad. Yeah, so that the music was not out of place. And it also just showed, it helped to show yeah. that their street could be a happy place, yeah. too. You see his parents dancing. And, and it was all period-accurate music, too. Like, yeah. A lot of Van Morrison. There were like, yeah, there, there was. There was, like, four or five Van Morrison songs in this movie. Yeah, but it was just, it was wonderful. I really liked it. I would listen to it, like, just on its own. Yeah, probably it was, go it was good. It. So, for this one, I rated it entertaining. Peter rated it memorable. So, yeah. we had a really good week we of Oscars movies. So, now, like, in our other Oscars episodes, we're going to rank them. And things might actually get a little more interesting this time, since we have more good movies that we've seen so i'll do my rankings and then you can do yours because i have an outstanding pick from oscars and you actually don't so for Mm. me my top is still dune which i rated outstanding then i would say um nightmare alley and then i would have to go belfast Licorice Pizza, The Power of the Dog, and then Don't Look Up at the bottom. Yeah, I think I'm pretty similar. Um, I think I would have Nightmare Alley at the top for my best picture of the year. I think Dune is a close second. Um, it was I thought Dune was very well done, but I think I enjoyed it slightly less than Nightmare Alley. Just, just on like you know, uh, just because I you know it wasn't. I just thought Nightmare Alley was very perfect in a lot of ways. Um, and then, uh, Belfast is definitely my, my third, that is, it was, it was very good, um, Licorice Pizza, and then, we're, yeah, we're pretty much the same after that. Aside from those two being switched up, I have Licorice Pizza, then The Power of the Dog, then, uh, Don't Look Up is, like, doesn't even deserve to be in an Oscar nomination spot, but, yeah. So we have four more Oscar nominees to watch. We have Coda, Drive My Car, King Richard, and West Side Story. Um, so I'm not quite sure how soon we will be watching this one. These ones, we might take a little bit of a break because we like to keep these in weeks together so that we can podcast about Oscars at the same time. And we don't have tickets to drive my car until March 20th. Like three weeks from now. So we might be taking a little Oscars break, which I feel like would be good for us. Yeah. Like like a one week break. Yeah. Um, we do really want to watch Tick, Tick, Boom. That's still on our list. Izzy, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry we didn't watch that yet. We'll get to it eventually. Um, and just some other things. It'll be fun to just, like, pick something random on Netflix for a little break. Yeah. some some I've seen some good stuff on there recently that I want to watch with you, so 
We'll, we'll have we'll have some time. We'll probably take yeah, probably take a week break and then go back to Oscar stuff. That sounds like a plan to me. Look at us just figuring this out right here. <laughs> Look at us live in Who'd front of the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you again next week.